Trainer Talks and Tales acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Turrbal and Yogara people of Mianjin. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Trainer Talks and Tales love having an array of guests with a variety of opinions. However, the views of the individuals do not necessarily reflect the perspectives of the host facilities. Hey guys, and welcome to the Trainer Talks and Tales podcast. You're joined by your co-hosts, Tess and Daisy. Hey Daisy, how are you? Hi Tess, I'm great, thank you. Now before we get started with this podcast, Tess and I have been completely overwhelmed with the incredible response to the podcast and have had some fantastic topic ideas as well as some pretty cool guest ideas come through our DMs. So thank you so much and please continue to send them through. But Tess, how was your week? Last week you spoke about something really exciting happening with one of your kites. I would love to hear about how it went. He went really well, thank you so much, and he's continued to fly perfectly the rest of the week, so that's been great. I've been really relieved with how he's flown the last week. Uh, Last week you had a recommendation, and I love that, so I wanted to do one this week. You actually sent it to me this morning. It's a podcast called The Imperfects Podcast. It's not actually animal-related. The episode is called How to Stress Less with Dr. Emily, and it touches on burnout. And this is obviously highly prevalent in this industry, so I would really recommend giving a lesson. Anyway, how are you? How was your week? Do you have any recommendations yourself? My week was great, thank you. And yes, I am a sucker for recommendations, so I do have another one. And it's actually a paper that was written by Steve Martin, and it's called Connecting with Our Audience. You can find it on the Natural Encounters website. But recently at Sea Life, I've been working really closely with the other SEAL trainers on our presentation skills and working to develop our SEAL presentation. And this was a really great paper. I benefited a lot out of reading it. And I would definitely highly recommend this for anyone completing daily talks or presentations within their facility. Sounds good. Yeah, but Tess, we have another very exciting guest joining us today. We have Dean Jones, who is currently the Animal Training and Interactions Manager at Sydney Zoo. Now, Dean's career has taken him from cetaceans, tigers, to now working with a bachelor pair of elephants. I'm really excited, so let's get into the chat. Well, hello, Dean. Thank you so much for coming onto our podcast today. Both Tess and I are really excited for this conversation. You may or may not have heard from last week, every time we start a podcast, we start off with a fast five. So I'm going to ask you five questions and you just have to answer as quick as you can without really thinking about your answer. Does that sound good? Great. I don't often think about answers to questions, so I should be fine with this. Okay, good. I'm excited. All right. Question number one, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Oh, Lord of the Rings. Favorite animal? Killer whale. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Sweet or savory? Both all at the same time. (laughs) Okay. And tomato or barbecue sauce on the sausage? Um, barbecue. <laughs> that was Tess's idea, that one. <laughs> Good job. I like, I like it. I like it. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, now that's out of the way. That was just a bit of an icebreaker, just to have you thinking quickly and uh, just getting straight into it. Um, do you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself and the current role that you are in? Uh, sure. So my name's Dean Jones. I uh, am cur- I'm currently the Animal Training and Interactions Manager for Sydney Zoo. 
um, in uh, Bungarabi. I've been working in the industry for a little over 20 years now, and I still to this day can't think of doing anything else. And I'm pretty sure I still pinch myself every day that I get to do what I do as a job. So um, I still think I'm pretty much the luckiest person on earth, <laughs> like all of us. Absolutely. And then so with your background, we we're wondering if you could possibly dive in a little bit to how you began your career in this industry and how you got to exactly where you are today. You're right. Um, I always wanted to work with animals in some way, shape or form. Um, and marine uh, mammals was my my initial background. So I spent the vast majority of my career running around in a wetsuit thinking I knew what I was doing. So I started when I was quite young. I was lucky enough to pick up some volunteer work and some some summer work um, at what is net, or what was known as the Pet Porpoise Pool back then. It's now Dolphin Marine Magic. And from the connections that I made there, um, I was able to secure my first uh, weekend and school holiday job working at Sea Life Sunshine Coast, where you are now. Um, so crazy. It was back then, <laughs> back then called Underwater World. And now that I've said both of those things, I realise how old I'm sounding when yeah, two of the facilities I, mean, I started with are now under different names. Yeah, I was thinking um, that a little bit too. <laughs> uh, thank you. That's a nice little dig. So I started there. I was able to get my first full-time job there working with sea lions and otters. Um, I was there for a few years before moving to SeaWorld um, on the Gold Coast and then I stayed there for the bulk of my career. So I was there for about uh, 16 years, I think, all up. So I was a sea lion and dolphin trainer there. I made my way up to um, senior trainer. Um, and then from there, I was given the opportunity to stay within the company um, but move over to become the curator of wildlife for uh, Paradise Country, which was owned by Village or still is owned by Village Roadshow as well. I stayed there for a number of years um, before making my way to Sydney Zoo, um, where I am today. Um, so at Sydney Zoo, I started out as the senior elephant and ungulate keeper um, and then was lucky enough to uh, be part of starting a, a training program for the elephants um, that they had recently acquired from overseas. And then Sydney Zoo really wanted to take the work that we did with the elephants to the entire zoo. So um, they created the position that I'm in now to to sort of bring that training to the rest of the zoo, which um, I'm so incredibly proud to work for a company that that really sees the benefit in these training and, and conditioning programs for all species just to, to really make those welfare changes and, and make um, those positive differences. Um, so that's in a very small snapshot where how I got to where I am today. I feel like we're starting to see those roles come a little bit more apparent in 2023 as well, or especially over the last couple of years that those roles are becoming more available within zoological facilities. Absolutely. I mean, it, it was only a I mean, again, this is going to make me sound old. Um, but it was only, a, you know, a number of years ago when I was um, still at SeaWorld where, you know, some people in zoos, you know, were saying, you know, we don't want to train our animals like like marine mammals. These aren't dolphins. These aren't seals. Um, and now it's it's the exact opposite. You know, we've come so far in, in, in what is relatively a sh short amount of years to, to really try and put those, um, save that those same training and conditioning programs, um, that we had with marine mammals for so many years, 
um, with a whole host of pretty much every taxa now. Um, we've seen amazing work done. And, yeah, for facilities now to sort of realise that, I mean, that role is, is just as important as a curator, as a, as a keeper. It's, you know, our sort of mentality is that, you know, training and conditioning um, with our animals is just as important as giving them food and water um, in a day. Um, and that's the kind of level we hold that to. We've still got a long way to come. We're a brand new zoo. Uh, we opened in the middle of uh, or three months before the first global pandemic and um, Sydney's had a number of closures since then. So really the last three years have, have not been smooth sailing for the zoo, but we're kicking goals left, right and centre. Again, just paying to the fact that they still you know, saw the, the importance of that role to make it a, a permanent position at the zoo is, is just incredible. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely one of the um, zoos I'm really excited to hopefully get down to in the next year or so to check it out. Absolutely. Come whenever. Yeah. Come check us out. Well, it's definitely a very impressive resume that you have there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. That's incredible. I wrote it myself. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Um, and so you obviously said that you've transitioned from marine to terrestrial species. Was that your goal to have a bit of um, a feel for both or is that something that you kind of fell into? How did you come about that decision? Um, good question. I I had a few key species of, of animal that I, I always wanted to work with. Um, they were killer whales, dolphins and elephants. Mm-hmm. Dolphins was, was what I sort of fell into. Well, I didn't fall into. I worked hard to get there, but um, <laughs> was was the, the species that, that sort of happened first. And, you know, I'd spent quite a number of years working with them i if i was told i'd spend the rest of my life working with them i'd be ecstatic um but the opportunity to to sort of see what we could do with other species was was really appealing to me uh especially elephants i mean i love those big highly cognitive animals that want to do lots throughout the day um for anyone who's had the absolute pleasure of working with me knows that I don't sit still for very long so um, species that want to do things all the time they're the animals I like to work with because if they don't I could be very annoying because I always want to do something Um, so um, Sydney Zoo had recently acquired um, uh, two young bull elephants who hadn't had a whole lot of conditioning so the the opportunity to to sort of be a part of a brand new program with those animals um, who were almost clean slate. So, you know, so to have two young elephants that didn't know a lot, we got to train everything with them from um, basic husbandry behaviours to complex husbandry behaviours to a whole host of fun behaviours with them that, you know, was really important for their, their mental stimulation. So to be given almost two blank canvases was was you know, an opportunity that I don't think, you know, you'd get too often. So that was a massive draw card for me. Yeah, like such an incredible opportunity. And exactly like you said, with the kind of blank card and you can create what you like with these two animals. Um, And then so speaking about that, obviously now you're working with a bachelor pair of elephants plus managing training programs across the whole facility. What does a day in the life look like for you? It's, It's a little bit full on, which is great. It's exactly how I like to work. I get to work really closely with every team in the zoo, which is awesome, and and all aspects of that. So from the managers and the and the senior keepers, um, all the way down to all the staff. I think something for me that I didn't really expect to be as rewarding 
you know, like most of us that work with animals, I love animals. I, they are the reason I get up every morning. So um, <laughs> I love I love working with them. I, I especially love training them. I love watching them become confident uh, when learning new things. I love watching that moment that the penny drops in their head and we all of a sudden I have an animal that I don't speak the same language with but we just both understood the same thing. We both had a way of communicating with each other. And still to this day, every time I train a behavior, when that moment clicks with that animal, it, it literally blows my mind. So I, I love those sorts of things. That's my drive. But to watch people learn how to train and to, and to be a part of their journey, um, I actually just got a call and a message this afternoon from uh, one of the carnival keepers who um, is training one of our hyenas. We're working on some voluntary blood draws from their jugular. Um, and she had a massive breakthrough in this behavior with a particular hyena. Um, and she sent me videos. There was so many exclamation marks um, in her messages. <laughs> and um, she said, I can't wipe this smile off my face. And I never thought I would be as rewarded with uh, working with and training with people that I am animals. But, you know, that sort of euphoric feeling, I, I 100% understand. And it's so, I find it so rewarding. I never thought it would. I think teaching can be super reinforcing as well. And to see it succeed within that person is such a great feeling. Yeah, 100%. I guess I kind of, uh, I didn't uh, kind of, was an afterthought. I didn't really think of it because I like animals. I think about them more than I do people. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we get into the industry, I think. <laughs> I, I like them a little bit more than I like people too, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> so you recently presented at the ASAK conference about elephant cognition training. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, sure. The cognitive behaviours that um, we wanted to put into our elephant program have worked really well with, with marine mammals in the past, and I've not really seen them trained with any other species. I think one of the biggest differences in training elephants that I've found in training other species is they are always, or they always think they're one step ahead. So they very quickly pick up routines um, and obviously we know that when an animal has a set routine, that can lead to predictability. Predictability leads to a lack of motivation um, and potentially boredom. Um, so these were particular behaviours that I, I kind of found elephants were, were very good at picking up, um, which would then um, obviously become problems down the track. So I didn't want the animals to have um, uh, these sort of behaviours. So... We wanted to think of some cognitive behaviours to train them that really make them concentrate and, and think and, and are ways that we could break up those um, husbandry routines that we do with those elephants that obviously are very important. So like I said, these particular concepts worked really well with, with other species. So I really wanted to see how they would work with elephants. And the first sort of concept we wanted to look at were training cognitive behaviours that elephants um, would rely on heavily in the wild but not necessarily so much in human care so for instance with elephants with with all animals in in human care we pretty much provide everything for them which is fantastic we provide their food um we take away their um, challenges of of having to find food or find water but because we do that we need to find ways of um getting them to utilize those other skills that they have that they may not need anymore so with elephants um obviously they rely heavily on on the sense of smell um which they tend to not need too much in human care in terms of finding food and water so the first sort of cognitive behavior we trained were uh scent cues so our elephants had 
uh, either have verbal or physical cues that they they know. Um, so kind of like a giant game of memory, we built these little canisters, filled them with particular scents, um, and associated each scent with a particular behaviour. So the smell of coffee means to flap your ears. The smell of peppermint means to lift your foot. Um, so if we were doing a, a routine husbandry routine with the elephants and wanted a foot present, rather than just cueing it like normal, we could offer them the scent of peppermint, and they would have to go through their their list in their brain of what each scent means and then perform that particular task. So it was just another way that we could add complexity to these husbandry routines. We were able then to um, take that to another step. We wanted to uh, add a wait and go behaviour. So asking the elephants to um, wait before doing a particular behaviour. So we would give them the cue, ask them to wait, and um, they would have to not do that behavior until we ask them that they, or, or sorry, tell them that they can do it. So um, just as another little cognitive behavior to throw in there with them. I think that's um, such an we awesome would... behavior. Like I've seen it done with pitipads, but it'd be fantastic to see it with elephants as well and how that can be put into terrestrial species as well. Yeah, so they really, it's quite funny when um, when we're doing it with them, they concentrate very hard on what's going on, which was the exact thing we wanted them to do rather than just going, oh, yep, I know this next step. We've done this once before. I know this bit's coming up. Um, by adding the wait and go into it, so we could ask them to wait and then lay down, and they won't lay down until we've given that go cue. So they're, they're waiting, they're concentrating, they're not, um, anticipating the behavior. So all of those things that we um, sort of hoped they would achieve worked really well with the elephants, which was really good. And what does an elephant concentrating look like? Like, how do you know that they're more <laughs> <laughs> um, With both of the boys, they concentrate very differently. Um, they are two of the most amazing animals I've ever had the pleasure of working with. However, they both learn incredibly differently. So they are half brothers. They share the same dad. Uh, however, even though they're closely related, chalk and cheese when it comes to behavior. So one of them, Carvey, he loves uh, or appears to really like those problem-solving um, behaviors. Um, Ashokan, not so much. If he doesn't get it in the first couple goes, he's like, I'm going to move on to something else, which is great. We just roll with that. But um, Carvey sort of puts his ears out. He's He's dead paying attention, his trunk's still, he's focused, you know, there's not even a fly that can land on him that that sort of takes away his attention. <laughs> That's so good. The personalities are one of the best parts of hanging out with animals, I think. Now, with that particular training, did you, or I guess with all of your training that you do with your elephants, did you condition a bridge um, with that and did you have any specific reinforcers that you utilised for the training? Um, we do. We, in terms of reinforcers, um, our um, elephant manager, um, Mick Harrison, is is so wonderful in making sure that we don't load up the elephants with, with sugary treats. So our training diet um, is basically part of their natural diet. So I think they get two apples each per day, which is nothing when you weigh almost three ton. Um, they're their um, extra high value um, reinforcers, um, as well as sweet potato, which is there for starch. Um, and then we use their hay as well that they um, basically get for free. 
in their habitat. We wanted to look at, we ran a couple of experiments where we would hang up fresh hay bags with the elephants and then called them over to do a training session. Um, they will leave their hay bags, come and work with us. And the reinforcement that they get from us is the same hay they can get for free in their paddock, but they choose to stay and work with us. Um, their criteria is just as perfect, um, which really tells us that they're working with us because they enjoy the sessions we're doing rather than um, just working with us because they're getting an extra treat. We can literally feed them the same food they could eat for free, but they're choosing to leave that and come with us and work with us. Yeah, I love that during your presentation at the conference, like having you say that this is the same food, I promise, and they want to participate in this session. is It's a really cool concept. And you're providing them that choice as well to choose to come over and choose to be a part of that session. Exactly. Um, one of the things um, um, I get to work with two other trainers that I've helped train up with the elephants, Jake Robinson and Joanne Maitland, they are two of the most well, probably two of the, the star students I think I've ever had the pleasure of working with. They've they've picked up concepts. They've <laughs> rolled with it when I've mentioned, let's train this random thing. And they look at me like, <laughs> what on earth are you talking about? But let's do it. They come up with awesome ideas. Joe at the moment is is training the, the boys shape recognition, um, which is really cool, um, which again is the first sort of more complex cognitive behavior that she's ever trained and, and, you know, she's, she's going really well with that. But one day the three of us were discussing about high value reinforcement with the elephants and, and sort of wondering, well, just because I think an apple is high value for an elephant, is it really? So in this conversation, um, I kind of said, well, why don't we try and ask the elephants to pick what their reinforcement will be. So we have um, paired four of their reinforcers with particular colours and then in random sessions we will ask them to pick what food they would like. So they've learnt that the colour or like a red circle means apple, a white circle uh, means sweet potato, uh, a green one will mean corn and so forth. So we give them the opportunity, not always, but in, in a particular session to to pick their own reinforcement and sometimes find that what we would think is reinforcing to them may not be um, as highly valued as what we think. So they can just tell us what they want for that particular behaviour. Mm, that's such a cool concept. So cool. Like, I just think that's awesome. <laughs> I'm still over what, like when I heard you talk about that at the conference, I was like, that is such a great opportunity for you to apply choice into the animal's environment. Both of them... Um, are very different in how they pick. Carvey seems to always know exactly what he wants. More to the point, sometimes just to make sure we are getting it right, we will make the choice he wants really hard to get and sort of offer him something else and he will go out of his way to pick the one he wants. He's like, no, no, I said this one. This is the one I want. Whereas Ashoka, when you give him some options, um, he stares at both of them back and forth for a little while, almost like if he doesn't pick corn, we will destroy every piece of corn on the planet and he will never see corn again. He <laughs> really takes it on board like it's a, it's, this is a, this is a big, this is a big decision. Um, and sometimes we, we're like, just hurry up and pick one, mate. You, you can get the other one later if you want. <laughs> well, with that, do you have any future training goals with the two elephants? Um, yeah, one of the cognitive behaviours we have um, been working on, I've just finished training it with Carvey, um, is the mark behaviour. 
um, which if you um, aren't familiar with, with it, it, it's one that's been trained with marine mammals in the past. Uh, yeah. It's basically like a giant game of memory. So uh, any behaviour that the elephant knows can be marked. So I, I have a, a, a cue that means mark this behaviour that, that I'm about to ask you. And the elephant then can have any number of behaviours asked after that, that behaviour has been marked any time can pass and that animal, when he's asked to remember that mark, has to remember the behaviour that I marked. Um, and then this can change, once he's done it, we can change it to another behaviour. Any behaviour that he knows can be marked and then asked later on. Mm. Um, at the moment, the longest period of time, I, I marked a behaviour at the beginning of, of the day um, and at the end of the day, I asked him to remember the behaviour I marked um, he'd had four training sessions throughout the day, as much food and, and swim time as he wanted, and he remembered that behaviour. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so cool. And then the animal then gets to choose what reinforcer it wants for yeah. remembering that behaviour. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. Sometimes the most challenging thing that we face is we have to write on the back of the coloured um, circles what each reinforcer is because yeah. we don't want to mix them up. Um, <laughs> and then... I have to remember what babe, what behavior did I mark? Actually, he he probably remembers better than I do. Um, but sometimes by the end of the day, we're kind of sitting there going, "Did we do that? What what did we do? I can't remember." It, but the elephants, they have a far better memory than us. Elephants never forget. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, apparently. that's a that's a great way of removing any chance of human error. Just write it down. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And like you've spoken so much already about some incredible facilities you've worked at, the awesome stuff you're doing with the elephants at the moment. Do you have a particular career highlight or I will allow you to have a highlights if there's a couple? Oh, I honestly, uh, there's, I could not pick one. Um, <laughs> what I'm doing now, the opportunity to, to mentor people, the opportunity to, um, to work with some amazing people, the opportunity to work with amazing animals. Um, sort of the job I'm doing right now is is definitely a career highlight, mm -hmm. um, but I wouldn't be able to be here doing it right now without being influenced by all the amazing people and animals and facilities that I've worked with to get me here. So I, yeah, I, how long do you have? Because that's how yeah, long it would take me. It's a very hard question. I feel like it's one of the things you're like, oh gosh, I've done so many cool things and I'm so grateful. So yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair answer to say what you're doing now is incredible and you've done lots of other things. Yeah. <laughs> and that might yeah. make it difficult leading into this next question. So this is one of the questions we got from um, our social media, which was what is the favourite species that you've ever worked with? You have to pick one. Ooh, <laughs> I do. I do have to pick one. Okay, I think I'll be like a shoker trying to pick my favorite reinforcer here. Um, oh, look, dolphins are pretty awesome to work with. Yeah, dolphins are are pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go with dolphins. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And then one other question was, what is a piece of advice that you've received during your career that has stuck with you the most? Um. This would have to be in, in sort of my earlier years of working um, at SeaWorld. Um, I was really fortunate to have so many amazing trainers mentor me when I was younger um, that had been doing it for 20, 30 years. But a uh, dolphin trainer by the name of Katie Brock, I always loved how she worked with the animals, how she, you know, wanted to get the best out of them. Um, and she always told me whenever I was stuck with something, she told me to listen to your animal. It is telling you everything you need to know. 
Um, and still to this day, when I'm trying to work out a behavior, when something's not working, when I seemingly can't figure out why something's happening, I will literally think to myself, what is, what is the animal telling me? And when I do that, I can normally figure out where, where something's gone amiss. So she would have told me that easily 20 years ago. Um, and I still tell um, people that I'm helping and mentoring today the same thing. And it has, it has helped me my entire career. It's just fascinating how one thing can stay with you for that long and then you're able to pass that on to so many other people that will influence them in the future as well. Yeah, it's still the best piece of advice I was ever given. I still use it today. I think I used it today, actually. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Well, Dean, it has been absolutely incredible chatting to you. It's been amazing talking about where you got to, how you were able to get to, and just a little bit more of an understanding on what capabilities those bachelor pair of elephants that you have are able to do. If people do have more questions and want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Um, on Facebook or um, my Instagram. Yeah, and or at um, Sydney Zoo. <laughs> what is your Instagram? <laughs> um, oh, good question. I'm that old. Wait, what is it? Let me look it up. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna do it. Don't worry. We didn't prep you for that bit. Sorry. Okay, great. <laughs> um, if you'd like to contact Dean. on social is at dean jns1 or on his personal facebook or southern fraser coast dolphin research project perfect does that sound good (laughs) yeah it sounds amazing at least somebody knows my instagram (laughs) i honestly felt that before it's kind of hard to do on the fly yeah it is you're right we stitched you up (laughs) well thank you again so much for your time dean we really appreciate it yeah thank you so much my pleasure thank you so much for having me Thank you so much for joining us, Dean. We really appreciate you coming on our podcast. Well, guys, that's it for today, and we hope to see you next week. Bye. Bye.